Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This here is the program where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company. I know it's hard to follow the concept, but follow along in your book if you get lost. Uh, we are the folks who love talking movies, and I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, the host of the program, and I started talking movies a long time ago with these fine folks, and we decided that instead of just carrying on on Twitter or Skype or whatever, we would record it and, and subject you folks to it. Uh, and that's what became the Disney Film Project podcast. Uh, I started my site at DisneyFilmProject.com and started talking with the two hosts of the program who you have come to know and love. First of all, a blogger at TouringPlans.com and chief technical officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He is the one, the only, Todd Perlmutter. There's only one of me? Actually, it's a lie. There's, there's multiples of you? Uh, well, did you know that the guy who started Blue Man Group actually has the same name as me? It's you, isn't it? No, it's really not. I wish it was. <laughs> 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 that would be awesome. That would be yeah, kind of nice. That would be kind of good for you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you live, you, you live, you learn. Maybe, maybe you could bump him off and like take his place. Do you think anyone would notice that I can't I play don't an think instrument? So. <laughs> Neither can they. I mean, really, they're just like smacking blue paint on the instruments. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> he could he could be the new blue man group right here. Let's yeah. just go with orange. Oh, or there you undertoned. go. Yeah. Originally. I love it. Uh, also lovely and talented is the attractions blogger at DisneyDrivenLife.com, as well as blogger of her own at Adventures of Bree at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. That would be the one, the only Miss Brianna Alessio. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing this evening? I'm well. How about yourself? Good, I just can't get the image out of my head now of Todd with, with blue paint on his face with a serious expression because I know he laughs easily. So Yeah, that's uh, probably going to haunt lots of people uh, it is. It throughout is. The, uh, the time when this when this show is released. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the person who, who edits our, our ramblings into some semblance of coherence is our also lovely and talented. You'll notice a theme here because uh, everyone is lovely and talented except for myself. Uh, the producer of this program, Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter. Hi, I'm doing good tonight. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I do not envy you your challenge this evening. Well, we're doing good. I think we'll be good. I think we'll be okay. Right. Um, wait, I do want to get on this on the note, though. Henry, it, they, these guys don't like your film. They still have gigs at touring plans, right? They don't like my film? Yes. <laughs> if we don't like, If we don't yeah. like your movie. You don't like oh. your movie. <laughs> oh. What's my movie? I don't, I don't know. know. We haven't got Burton. there yet. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Oh, I see <laughs> So, so that 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 voice you hear would be the one and only, uh, and he's also lovely and talented, uh, Mr. Henry Work, who Thank is you. host of the Beta Mouse podcast. But no, he never gave me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't want him to give you an answer because I don't like movie. Uh, and also the what? What's wow. your official title at touringplans.com, Henry? Like guru? Uh, developer. I develop on things. But guru sounds so much better. All right, that works too. Um, uh, so Henry is joining us this evening because uh, we're the only podcast he hasn't appeared on yet. So we <laughs> wanted to make sure that we could get him on. Um, because he's in high demand, and because we are discussing a favorite film of his, 
Is this your, is this your favorite Disney film? Uh, I'd probably say so. Yeah, in a courty okay. way, yes. All right. So we are discussing the 1992 Disney musical Newsies. So Henry, why is this your favorite Wait, Disney before film? Before you tell, ask for why is this a Disney film, I want to give him a warning. Warning. Warning Uh-oh. that we've ruined a couple of people's favorite Disney films for them. This so is very true. I'm not giving you this warning now, Henry. It's they, a very good point. We've warned. We've ruined their films. Changed your mind. Made, made people cry. I think Chef Big Pat Panda is gonna poison our food one day. I don't know. <laughs> Cheryl, Henry, Cheryl. Do, do not turn to the dark side. Yeah, so, so we're talking about the Black Cauldron tonight, right? Um, no fair warning it's okay it is it is one of my favorite films i mean i guess you could probably say it's my favorite Uh, i don't know i can't think of another that's more favorite right now um but i i i think uh, i am looking forward to a uh a discussion of its of its wins and flaws so uh, before we get into it what what is it that attracts you to the movie what do you like about it um, I watched it a ton when I was a kid. I think it was, I I did do sort of drama in high school, and you know, I was a I was a Disney fan. I I seen most of the animated films, um, and some of the the live action ones as well. And I kind of liked the fact that it was sort of like the return of the live action musical, but it was sort of geared for boys, like uh, and. I think what it comes down to is that it sort of has has lots of haminess, a lot of corniness. You know, it's not particularly. It's in this weird spot where it's trying to be sort of gritty and authentic, not gritty, but like sort of authentic to you know the story of the time. But it also has this other side, which is trying to appeal to kids and trying. It's kind of an interesting concept because it's like a musical, but it's a musical that boys can relate to. Um, and I just thought that was always kind of cool. And then now when I see the film and I, I do, I probably watch it every year or so, um, just, just by happenstance, it's sort of, you know, you, you, you appreciate its flaws. It's almost corny enough and sort of quirky enough that you, you enjoy it, even though it's not this like hallmark of, you know, movie making. Interesting. Let me ask this question. What do you think of the musical being out right now? Well, I'm sorry, what do I think? Of, oh, the, uh, the, the theatrical? Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, so I think there's only like six six songs in the movie. Obviously, uh, Alan Menken was the composer, um, and he's done you know a billion awesome Disney movies. So that, that sort of attracted to me. Um, the songs are pretty short. Which I think is kind of interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. And um, you know, n- there's no like specifically like one song that sort of made a hit or anything like that. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing it on Broadway if I if I can make it out. If it gets to Broadway, because right now what it's it's in right. like Jersey, oh, right? right? Not, not starting like Broadway. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah it's at the Paper Mill Playhouse. It's, but it's go. not. It's not going to be there until September fifteenth. Actually, cool. Got it. Okay. So yeah. So I think Henry. I think you actually like it more than the people who appeared in the movie. <laughs> because yeah, people like don't don't mention it. It's not yeah. a hallmark of. Uh, it's not. It's not the top of Christian Bale's like. 
no, no, yeah, he, file right now. He, he hates this movie. <laughs> That's awesome. But he, Which, he he hates it. But at the same time, he loves that. Uh, he, he he respects that it's got such a big following. So yes, he's very he, clear he, about that. Yeah, he dislikes the movie, but he hesitates to say anything bad about it because people will attack him <laughs> if they do. It's crazy news, these fans. He, he he swore he would never ever ever do another musical. Right. Yeah, that was his first and only. I do have to say, it's very weird to watch it now and see Batman dancing along the streets doing plies. That That is kind of disturbing. A little, a little <laughs> disturbing, yes. Yeah. Although, like, if, if they were going to do a Batman movie as a musical, I mean, I think he's perfect for it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got experience. And full cape effect. Right. The, <laughs> the next movie should be like The Dark Knight Sings. You know, I don't you know, think we've have, ever talked about full cape effect. That's have, first. Well, actually, there's an episode of um, Brave and the Bold cartoon that they get the like the music maestro is like the bad guy or something like that, and they're all the superheroes are singing the entire episode, and Batman has a solo. It's, it's very entertaining. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> Did Christian Bale do the singing voice? For no. That? No. Okay. <laughs> it could oh, happen. Well, yeah, you never know. Uh, all right, so 1992 Newsies comes out, uh, directed by Kenny Ortega, he of High School Musical fame and Michael Jackson fame, and Henry mentioned composer Alan Menken did these songs, and you would assume that with that pedigree, knowing what you know now of those people, that this was a huge successful film that uh, has been canonized for decades to come. It was a great moneymaker, wasn't it? No. Uh, this is probably, I, I haven't done the research. I'm assuming Todd probably has, cause it's what he does. Uh, this was perhaps the, at the time I know it was the biggest live action bust in the history of the, of the Walt Disney studio. I, I, I think it's still considered the biggest live action bust in the history of Walt Disney. Really? Studios. I mean, it's yeah. a pretty small budget. Yeah, but it. Its total domestic gross wasn't even three million dollars, and its production budget no. was fifteen million. Wait, wait, wait! I think it may have been surpassed, Todd, by our really? new favorite worst Disney movie. Oh, Prom! I think Prom might be a bigger <laughs> live-action flop than you know. Oh, all of you harsh critics bashing on my Prom. Just as a side thing, folks, in case you didn't catch it, because school just started, they literally started pushing the Prom clothing line and everything. They yes, have like like articles out about dress yes, like the like... characters from prom and stuff. Oh, it's wow. all out there. Did not know that. That's interesting. For for the three of us who saw the movie, because <laughs> we were the only ones. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see prom. I'm hoping, Henry, for your sake. Uh no no I didn't. Yeah don't. Uh yeah. This, I this think I applies act- to Country Bears. No no Country Bears is a classic. Yeah no. <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh yeah, you, I think Prom actually made less, or, or lost more, I should say. Yeah, it 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 also was nominated for a whole bunch of Razzies, and it actually even won one. <laughs> of course, it did. <laughs> yeah, um, for for an Alan Menken song, <laughs> wow. which, was, which was a High Times Hard Times song. Yes, which would be the song that the, 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 that uh, Anne Margaret sings in the uh, 
what do you call it? The saloon hall? Well, it's because oh, right. they're not serving yeah. alcohol, but whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. When the, during the big newsies rally. Yes, the big newsies rally. <laughs> so this is the interesting. So the, this is the interesting thing to me, right? Is like there's there are major stars in this movie, you know, Kenny Ortega, Alan Menken behind the scenes, you know, Christian Bale we already mentioned, Robert Duvall plays Joseph Pulitzer in this. I just mentioned Anne Margaret who plays Meta, the girl who kind of mentors the newsies from her performance hall. Uh, Bill Pullman is in this movie. Like, there is a lot of talent in this movie. It made no money at the box office, was critically panned, and, like, even to this day, there are people... But, like, it's found a following later, which is so strange. Like, that doesn't happen these days. Yeah, it's a cult movie. Completely a cult movie. Yeah. Yeah. Though we should mention, Kenny Ortega was his first film, his first director film. That is correct. Mm -hmm. It was. Oh, and by the way, Todd, I was wrong. Prom has actually managed to turn a profit. Oh. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. So, sorry, Henry. Newsies is still the biggest live-action flop in the history of the studio. Okay. <laughs> so it's, you got, a, it's an interesting question. You got question. that going for it. Well, it's... Well, one, this isn't my movie. But two, uh, I, wonder, I wonder what's up with that. Like, it, I mean, typically, if you're talking about movies... Like making three million dollars means that they're released in like six theaters, like New York and L.A., and yeah. they get zero marketing. So I wonder if Disney either just put very little marketing into it at this point because this was 1992. I mean, this wasn't like you know the 80s when you know it, the company was run by super conservative people. It was um, in 1,300 theaters. Right. Yeah. And and then, but also, but it, this is like you know the heyday of. Of Katzenberg's reign over the studio, you know, yep. producing mm-hmm. like 15 live action films a year or whatever. Um, so it's interesting that like any anything with the Disney label on it, if even if they spent a minor marketing budget, they figured that you could get some box office back in the uh, in the opening day or the opening weekend. It's weird how, how little it, it made. Well, remember back back in like the opening weekend thing is a very recent phenomenon. Like that that hasn't right. been such a big deal except for like in the last really like the last six or seven years, even even two thousand one, two thousand two. Like we talked about this when we talked about Princess Diaries. Like even then, opening weekend wasn't as big a deal as it is now. But you know, so I can I can see why it wouldn't make a lot in opening weekend, maybe. But right. you would think a movie that made that kind of cash would would never be seen again you know what i mean and it's only it's honestly it it is really only because it aired on the disney channel and people got like upset that it wasn't on vhs or dvd that disney even put it out because i mean to be honest like if you look at the other movies that they they did during that that year so beauty and the beast came out in november before newsies newsies came out in april honey i blew up the kid the mighty ducks both came out in 92 aladdin in 92 muppet christmas carol in 92 so i mean like yeah, all of those movies did really well, especially compared to Newsies. It's odd. It's really weird. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, also it it, it didn't. It, it was you know like you're saying the the thing about the uh, opening weekend at the box office. It really wasn't competing against that much in terms of other openers. I mean, it went up against Fern Gully, uh, Sleepwalkers, a reissue of Casablanca, and uh, the Player. Okay. Right, first of all, first of all, let me say like they reissued Casablanca, and I didn't see this. It was that it was 
April 1992. <laughs> What's your point? It's fair. <laughs> um, but it, it, it ranked 13 that weekend. Good grief. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. I wonder yeah, so, what the marketing was like. I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I was so I was um, just out of college, and it, I don't remember it that well from back then. I mean, I, I heard about it all along, but I know, you know, honestly, I never saw it until I watched it the other day. See, and I was the same way. I, I remember, but I remember the marketing campaign because, like, if you go online and you look for the poster, like, I remember that poster. I saw that poster a lot. It's the poster with Christian Bale on top of the stack of newspapers with his, you know, his legs sticking out, jumped up in the air kind of thing. So were the the commercials for the film poor? I mean, was it a poor marketing scheme or? I I don't remember seeing ads for it. I do. But I remember seeing this poster because when as soon as I saw it, it brought back memories like because I saw it in the movie theater. I saw it at bus stops. I saw it. You know, I saw it lots of different places. Um, it's weird. I, I, it's like a phenomenon I can't explain, you know? I remember seeing this poster. It's weird because um, I, I did graduate high school in 89. I was going to college in 92, wor- work, working at a supermarket. I don't even remember this. <laughs> yeah. And like Todd said, it was the first time I seen it until the other day. I heard of it until it got on. <laughs> and, and it's weird because I was out of college. I was in my first job. Um, I was seeing like three or four movies a weekend back then, so it's really weird that I didn't so see it at did all. You, did you see this in the theaters, or was it like Disney Channel that you ended up seeing it on? No, I may have seen it. I mean, I remember us owning the VHS. Um, I don't really remember. I, I might have not seen it until high school, which would have been like the end of the '90s. So yeah, I, I definitely didn't. I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Oh, and Bree, had you seen it before you saw it for this? This was the, my very first time seeing this. Interesting. Yeah, and I see, actually I had, had no idea what it was about. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. I watched it last year, um, just because I hadn't seen it before. And it was a Disney movie, so I looked it up and, and, and watched it. And then I watched it again this time, um, you know, before we did this. But it, yeah, it's strange because it's one of those. It's one of those movies. Like if you're a Disney fan, I think we've all probably heard of it before, even if, even though we hadn't seen it. I, I heard of it briefly. Um, I mean, to be completely honest, I was in Best Buy the other week and I found it. It was on sale for five dollars, and I figured, oh, it's coming up on our podcast, so I'll just grab it, not knowing what it was about or anything, and kind of giving this away ahead of time i did really enjoy it wow that was a great bargain you got Bray. yeah way to go Bray. yeah yeah bargain shopping ladies and gentlemen there we go so uh the the story is based on uh the newsboys strike of 1899 in new york city uh which seems like an odd thing to turn into a musical but hey you know whatever um and it's based on on christian bale's character jack kelly uh who goes he alternately goes by the name cowboy so let me stop right there the people in this movie have too many names. That was my first complaint. Yeah. For the, for the 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, I said to Cheryl, what is anybody's name? Wait, pause. I have to figure <laughs> out who that character is. They haven't, like, they've been, been talking for seven minutes, and I don't know his name. <laughs> it was like, very hard to keep track of the names, yes. Yeah, like everybody has their name and their nickname, and they mostly go by their nickname, but then every once in a while they'll call them their real name. 
it, it's it, that part confused me. But like, if you can let that go, it's okay. But I know Todd, you and I being sticklers for details, that I I, I figured you were with me on that one. Yeah, there was just no. Establishment is very important of characters, and name yeah. is even more important than anything else because a name is what is the mental cue for the rest of the character in somebody's head. And so it's really hard without the names initially. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go on IMDb and keep them straight. <laughs> I was so confused. Nice. Uh, but yeah, the story is about the, the strike, be, which happens because uh, Pulitzer, in the in the story, it's happening because Pulitzer wants to figure out a way to squeeze more profits out of his paper, The New York World. And the newsboys, who are Christian Bale and his buddies, are the guys who they go pick up the papers. They pay you know a certain amount per hundred papers, and they take them out on the streets and they sell them. That's the extra extra like you've seen in Spaceship Earth. You know? Yes! <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. They should totally turn that kid into Christian Bale, I'm just saying. Yes! <laughs> and make him dance. Audio animatronic with the legs going up in the air or something. They should have him do the pose from the poster. Yeah. With his legs sticking up in the air. <laughs> Since the movie was such a big success. Um, yeah, so it's about it's about the strike. So they would go in, they would buy the and they would sell the papers and they would basically keep the the difference in the cost between what they sold, but they wouldn't return the old papers or anything and it was a, it was a hard life, right? These kids didn't make a lot of money and Pulitzer raises the price uh, from 50 cents a hundred to 60 cents a hundred and tries to charge the newsies the money. And so they go on strike. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the basics of, of the film. The, the actual strike is a little bit different. We can talk about that later. But where I think, like for me, the, where I had a problem is the film does a pretty good job on exposition of setting up something we've talked about before, which is goals, motivation, and conflict, of, especially with Jack. Mm-hmm. Like you know what his deal is, you know why he's there. He's a he's a street tough kid. Um, he wants to get out of New York and head to Santa Fe. I mean that's all established through character work, through songs and everything before the strike even happens. So it does a good part there, but it does it in a long, long stretch. Like we know the movie's about the strike, or you know you pick up on that pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and it takes a while to get there. It, it sure does. Uh, <laughs> it it's it's really weird because it's um, it like you said, it doesn't really let you know what the movie's gonna be about. They hint at the trolley strike because because that's the other thing that's going on at this time period is across the country. Every ta- every trolley worker is is striking. Right. Okay. All the trolley unions, their trolleys have unions. They're all at, they're all on strike. And um, and they're stopping anybody from doing anything. And they have the one scene that discusses it, right? Is after his first day spending time with David and Les, right? Did I get their name right? Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what the little boy's name was. <laughs> yeah, it was Fair Les. Enough. Okay. Yeah. He uh, they um, after they view the um, the trolley being th- uh, set on fire, they um, they come they come back the next day. But that's the only scene that establishes that. But but it's it's a it's a build-up to show you where the movie is going. I think that's why they include it because they could have left it out, but it, you know, but it worked for the moment, not necessarily for the whole. See, I took that they put that in because they showed what happens to the people who are scabbers, right? So they show the people, they show the guys beating the trolley workers who had crossed the picket lines and such, 
yeah. they kind of allude to it. Now, I'm not going to say they allude to it well, but they do allude to that. And then the same thing happens later once the newsboys goes on go on strike. They, you know, they quote unquote soak the guys who come to pick up the papers. Yeah. I was trying to. I mean, I understood what the term meant, but I was trying to figure out the terminology of it, and I couldn't find anything about the terminology of where they came up with soaking from because all I could think of was water pistols. (laughs) (laughs) Which would have been a good tactic, right? You shoot the papers with the water pistols, and then you got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Good plan. It worked. Yeah. (laughs) Strike. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to call it strike just to test that out. Uh, yeah. um, it, it is interesting because it's 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 got a lot of historical accuracies and a lot of historical inaccuracies. The movie as a whole, yeah. I mean, the the underlying basis is there. I mean, you know, Pulitzer cut a deal with Hearst, there, and there were only two papers in town. I guess they implied there were more than two papers. They implied there were five. Yes. Yeah, but there yeah. In, in in real life there were really, as far as anyone was concerned, there were only two newspapers, and that was. Uh, the the New York World and the New York Morning Journal, which was Hertz Hertz paper, and in real life they did that cut from fifty cents to sixty cents per hundred. So um, when this occurs, uh, exactly what goes on in the movie goes on in real life is the newsboys of New York City decide to strike. Okay, right. they're not just striking against um, the one paper in real life; they're actually striking against both papers. Right, the Biggest demonstration does not, in reality, incur in front of the um, New York New York World. Uh, it actually offices. It actually occurs um, on the Brooklyn Bridge. They actually the news the actual major protest of the entire strike takes place on the on the Brooklyn Bridge. They literally took it over and stopped the city yeah. because that was the main means of transport in the city back then of goods. Uh, the real the real uh, story is nowhere near as uh, entertaining nor musical as the Newsy story. What? Not no music. <laughs> yes, um, they actually did not stand on the Brooklyn Bridge and break into song and dance. That's disappointing. <laughs> it, it, it is, isn't it though? Yeah. It 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 really was a short strike, though, just like in the movie. I I think it like started it at the end of July and was over like a few days later um, because they they. They in real life they win the strike, but they don't win the strike, right? Not to I'm ruining the movie again, folks. But guess what? They win the strike in the movie. Uh, here they win the strike too, but they don't. The price does not get lowered back down from sixty cents. Instead, what the newsboys are allowed to do is they're allowed to return the papers that they have left over and get their right. money back on them. That's that's the trade-off. Yeah. Um, it, I find uh, the the characterizations are a lot of the names are actually the real names of real life people who are involved. I thought that they're was just not those char- They're just not those people. Well, <laughs> for the most part, there are. There was like Spot Connellan was apparently really from Brooklyn, right? Uh, the main, the main uh, cowboy is not a, a real guy from right. the reality of things. Um, the actual leader of the strike was Kid Blink, who in this movie is the guy with the eye patch. Oh wow! Okay, and uh, he's actually the one with the Brooklyn accent and the really bad mannerisms of speaking and. <laughs> And I, I guess it's kind of funny to read it because the papers back then would quote him phonetically. Nice. <laughs> to, to capture his Brooklyn accent because they, they felt it was the right way to go. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's very, very interesting. Um, uh, other things that were done um, is in real life back then there weren't just newsboys. There were newsgirls. 
as mm. well. And um, the reality was is that only the boys went on strike. The uh, women were still working and were still allowed to work. Okay, and the boys, even though they were technically scabbing, none of the none of the boys laid any a hand on any of them because they said they're not fighting women. That was a rule. Mm. Um, you know, things like that. So it's it's a lot of the reality of it is there. Um, the important thing is, um, I, it's more interesting that uh, Joseph Pulitzer was, you know, he was on his last legs in the reality of the situation, right? I mean, he was a dying man in the, at the point where he was, like, alive and vibrant and yelling in the movie. So it, it's important to note that back then, um, newspapers were not required to... Um, you know, have somewhat reliable sources and they could literally make things up and put them on the front page. And so that whole thing about power uh, that's going on in the movie, you know, with, with Pulitzer where he's like mad crazy with power, okay? Uh, yeah. That's, they're actually uh, touching on the fact that these were, that back then newspapers were all about yellow journalism, okay? So it didn't matter that the kids were making up headlines to sell the papers because most of the stories in the paper were made were made up or over exaggerated anyway to begin with because there was very little truth in a newspaper they were just a means of entertainment back then yeah right they the news the actual news in them was limited interesting i can't relate to that <laughs> yeah, it's hard it's hard in a, it's hard when you live in a world where like 5 seconds after steve jobs quits Right, you find you find you find out. I mean, back then you wouldn't find out till maybe days later if you found that at all. Correct. So that's the important way to look at but it. We have, but I want, but we have the alternate of that because we have we have reality quote unquote reality TV, a la Real Housewives and all the shows which show people this these scenes, and you think, well, well, he's New York. Do you think these ladies are the best of friends? Or, you know, or or Beverly Hills, they think these ladies are the best of friends, and, you know, and secretly they're out there, you know, then you find out on the internet that they're backstabbing and everything else and all the, all the, all the other stuff that goes along with it. And that, this happens a lot for all the reality shows, like, um, people, people claim the Pawn Stars in the, um, Storage Wars shows that they that the network actually stages items inside the show inside the, in like stages items to yes the it, pawn it, shop and actually stages items inside the, these lockers and it's I'm just, I just think it's real that that it's fun, funny that you know that most of the general population probably plays along with this and not many people you know probably the 20% on the internet know it you know know it's true it's kind of like wrestling. <laughs> well, it, it those there shows fall in, those shows fall into a category called scripted real life entertainment, right? Which means that scripted is the important operative word there. Uh, y- you know, even the original Survivor was scripted, not real. There is no actual winner. They just pay them all a lot of money, and the you guy who the people, the guy who the who is the guy or girl who's liked the most on Survivor gets the biggest paycheck. It's all determined ahead of time. Sorry, folks, no. didn't mean to ruin that for you. Sorry, we're giving away these uh, government <laughs> uh, I'm hanging up now. Before we move on, I found this weird video of blood in, in IMDb. Blood drips heavily on Newsy Square. 
where some guy pretends to be Don Knotts and goes and 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 the, the, the description of the of the of the film is that Don Knotts goes and he ca- tries to kill each one of the newbie, newsies one by one. What? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> wow. It's not really Don Knotts. It's some of someone. The guy was was actually in Newsies, but. Okay. That's, that's a bit disturbing. Like, uh, more than a bit, actually. <laughs> it's don't kids. You can't watch it. Kids cannot watch it. It's rated not rated R. So. That's that's bizarre. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I don't know how to follow that, except to talk about, uh, Robert Duvall, who plays Joseph Pulitzer, and the acting in the movie. Um, so, speaking of Don Knotts, who has a tendency to overact, wow, Robert Duvall is Joseph Pulitzer. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I was saying, at this point in time, the real Joseph Pulitzer, I don't think had that much life left in him, so it's like, crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, like, he, he has that little thing that he's doing when he's talking to Jack, where he's, like, he's, like, moving his lips, but he's not talking, and, uh, like, I was watching this the other day, I'm like, wow, he just, he just kind of went off the deep end for this. Uh, yeah. Into the role. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I mean, it, he's sort of the one character, I mean, there's many characters that the acting isn't really I just I, I couldn't understand you know his character what he was trying to be he yeah. seems very sort of the personification of evil um but also has sort of this really small soft side it was just it's hard to it's hard to wrap your brain around him yeah I don't know what he's like yeah it, it's like usually like you said Henry when you see a, somebody doing something weird like that you can go okay well he made a choice to go this direction with the character right. And yeah, I can't get a beat on what he was trying to do. Yeah, I I wasn't sure either. I just that that scene where um, where towards the end where he brought where he gives the bribe to Jack right initially, and then David helps him escape. But right before that, that scene is so dark compared. I mean, the movie is not exactly lightly toned, right? Other than the singing, yeah. okay. But that's like the the deepest, darkest moment in the entire movie, and he's like hunched over, and he's like he's like, "Why aren't you listening to me? I'm talking to you, boy." You know that whole thing. It's like <laughs> he went to demon mode or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's it's, it's totally bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Robert Duvall and his work, but th- this was just a little startling. His performance in this. Yeah. And I think I think that's part of why I mean that's just kind of one aspect but like you said Henry the the acting in the whole movie it's not like we're talking academy award winning performances no. from people from people who are good actors like Christian Bale right. is a really good actor but he I, I I guess just wasn't into it or I'm not sure what the deal was because like I mean obviously there's the accent problem I don't know how right. many of you guys took issue with that. <laughs> you mean an, an English-born gentleman with a Brooklyn accent? No, I had no problems with that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I, he has a thing with voices, like his Batman voice, man. 
Yeah, remember that? Oh, that was a little creepy. Yeah. I, although what would be funny would be to have Jack Kelly in the Batman suit. That would be a good trick. I would like that. Yeah, that would be uh, a little interesting. <laughs> but I mean, like like Christian Bale's doing that. Uh, you know, Bill Pullman is playing Bill Pullman like he plays in most every movie. Right. I mean, you know, Anne, Mar- Anne Margaret, I think, probably does the most quote-unquote acting in the movie, maybe, as meta. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I thought some of the newsies did a good job. Um, what was his name? We were just talking about this before. The little, the little brother. Uh, Les. Les. That's it. As I learned thought, ten minutes ago. Yes, <laughs> and I already forgot it. How about that? Um, I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, being the age he was. Yeah. You know. No, he but, was good. I mean, and David was okay. Yeah, David Moscow. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, they have lots of lots of famous actors. I mean, not only Christian Bale and Robert Duvall, Bill Pullman, but also Michael Lerner, who plays uh, Weasel or Wiesel, yeah. um, sort of the uh, the paper distribution guy. And and all of, all of the actors, you know, none of them like you know give huge acting sort of their you know good performances. Um, but I, I do think one thing that you said was interesting was that the accents, like I think Christian Bale's is by far the worst. Um, but it, it is weird that like a, they really, really wanted the accents. It seems like almost to the detriment of their acting. I feel like when, especially when you have young actors and this movie is, you know, primarily led by young actors um, that, you know, forcing them to, to give this, uh, you know, the, to force this accent might also sort of, um, you know, lose their focus on other stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I. I honestly think like Kenny Ortega is to blame for a lot of the 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 faults of the movie, which is no big slight against him because, as we have previously said on this podcast, like I love the High School Musical movies. I think they're really well done. Um, I, I guess it might be a matter of expectations, but like I assume that that was something he thought about, you know, with the right. and and the story. Like the like I was saying, the goals, motivation, conflict for for Jack and for David, you know, it's pretty good. And the setup and the resolutions and the character arc of Jack, if you just read it, like if you go on Wikipedia and read the summary of it, it actually plays out pretty well. But I don't feel like that comes across in the movie. I right. thought Jack's backstory was missing because they never told us why he wanted to go. I mean, we knew he wanted to go to Santa Fe, and I don't know why, maybe because the world is flat out there, who knows. But they never really <laughs> gave us a real a real backstory as to, I mean, yeah, we knew he was the only orphanage, we knew he'd been caught, type of thing. But we really didn't know why he was so pressed on Santa Fe. Maybe his parents were still back there or something. And I thought that was missing myself. Y- you know what it reminded me of? Um, in Happiest Millionaire, it was the equivalent of Detroit. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, you have a song named after a town that's so far off from where the actual uh, movie is taking place. It just seems odd and out of place, right? Well, they so, have a motivation for Detroit, though. Well, but he, he, he has the motivation. So, uh, But I, I missed it the first time I saw the movie. So you're right. It doesn't come across at all, at least, at least not it, it, the first time. Winnie the Pooh. 
We already talked about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> we already did Winnie the Pooh, sweetie. Well, what did you talk about? The one that we got to the movie? Yeah, the one we saw in the movie theater. We talked about that one. Yeah. So, yeah, I missed it the first time through as far as what was going on with Santa Fe. And I'm assuming, Henry, you've seen it a few times, so you probably picked up on it. But, like, he gives a, he gives a fake backstory to David about his parents being out in Santa Fe. Right. And, and then they come to find out his parents are dead and he's an orphan. Um, but he actually wants to go to Santa Fe because he wants to be a cowboy. He wants wide open spaces, all that stuff that's in the song. Um it's just, yeah, it does. It, the first time I saw the movie, Cheryl, I was just like you. I'm like, why does he want to go to Santa Fe? This makes absolutely no sense. And it, they they do it in like lines of dialogue that are buried among other crowd scenes and things like that. So, yeah, they don't like come out and say it. They're trying to be subtle with it, which is odd because this is not a subtle movie. <laughs> right. But I mean, my, my question there is how does an orphan who was in one of the refuge houses at the turn of the at the turn of the you know 19th to 20th century how do you um how does he find out about Santa Fe it's pretty it, it's pretty random yeah no 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 i don't disagree with that i just they they do explain it but it's not like a good explanation i guess is what i would say <laughs> okay i can live with that yeah uh I, I, yeah so we we talked about we've talked a few, a few different things but so they, they go on strike, and the strike itself is about, you know, most of the middle portion of the film, the second act of the movie, is about organizing themselves and getting with the other boys and making sure that they keep other people from, from taking the papers out to sell, all that kind of stuff. Um, the it's it, Honestly, to me, like, it's a little slow, um, and, and I think it's because it reflects the way that the strike's organized, right? The strike's organized by Jack... But he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's just kind of leaning on David at certain points, and then they're all leaning on Bill Pullman's character, Denton, at certain points. So the strike's disorganized, and that, to me, makes the movie feel disorganized in the second in the second act. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say there's not good parts of this, because it's like... The the my favorite song in the movie is the the world will know and the seize the day kind of mashup song right there was the, as the strike's beginning. Um, that's my favorite song in the movie, and I thought that part's really well done. But then like they have this nice stirring, rousing song, and then like they go into complete disorganization for like the next twenty thirty minutes of the movie. You, yeah. you know what I mean? I actually noticed that when I when I rewatched the episode. Uh, right, sorry, when I rewatched the movie. I mean, I think it also, at that point, it's sort of uh, the vibrancy of the environment. It becomes a little bit stale because you realize really quickly that all of this was set on basically like the same sound stages yeah. over and over again. So, um, you know, they, they take this, like, adventure to Brooklyn, I guess, where they go over the Brooklyn Bridge, but even that doesn't isn't super satisfying. Yeah. Um, and then, then it sort of goes into the, you know, the, I, I definitely agree that sort of the second half of the movie is slower and it's, it's less interesting. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, like the first act where they have, where he sings the Santa Fe song, where they go and see Meta and she sings a little bit and they have the, um, you know, where Jack's meeting David and everything. Like I said, it takes a long time to get to the strike, but that part of it at least is interesting if for nothing else, just being kind of a character study, I guess. 
Uh, and the second act, where you would expect the more the, the bigger conflicts and things to come into play, uh, it doesn't actually pan out that way, at least at least to me. Because um, Bill Pullman's character doesn't. This was my problem with Bill Pullman's character. Doesn't say forget you to the to the to the newspaper and do it himself. He he at at first he's like uh, cringes like oh my goodness I'm gonna lose my job or become the Ace Report you know um, or get promoted to Ace War correspondent. So yeah, I mean yeah, his character I I didn't feel like was. I didn't think he was strong enough. I think he should yeah. have been a little bit more pushier for what for especially for a newspaper guy, getting a story and having the he had the scoop, you know. Yeah, he definitely does not call to mind like Woodward and Bernstein and all the president's men or anything like that. If you've seen that movie, it's not the crusading newspaper man. He is for about five minutes and then he goes like you said, Cheryl. He kind of backs down when they threaten him and then and then he tries to do it in secret when they when they end up in the third act. Um, right. It, 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 that and that was my problem with Jack too. Is so the third act of the movie basically happens when Jack, the scene we talked about with Pulitzer threatening him, Pulitzer offers him a job, uh, it basically in order to break the strike because he knows Jack's the leader of the strike, and Jack takes it up on it, and really like, I I didn't buy that part, and I think that's the key part of the movie. You have to. You have to get behind that to understand that then Jack, of course, gives up on that, goes back to his buddies, and they, they resolve the strike. But, like, I didn't buy the fact that Jack would turn his back on the guys to go to Santa Fe. Right, the, that that part isn't uh, part of his character. Like, you didn't believe that the character yeah. would do that, so to speak. Yeah, I didn't. It didn't seem yeah. like the film could actually end like that, too. And it happened so quickly. Okay, he's gone. Oh, guess what? He came back. But the yeah. only thing that is a little bit redeeming about that is that Jack then becomes the only probably three-dimensional character in the entire movie. True. Like, no, absolutely though, true, yeah. Even yeah. though he isn't actually believable or it seems out of character that he would do that and there weren't other hints in the in the lead-up that he would sort of like, you know, cave or bail on his friends, essentially. Become right. a scab. Um, a scabba. Like, the... Uh, <laughs> At least it does provide a little bit of depth to most Disney films, which mostly only have two-dimensional characters who are either good, good, or evil, evil. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, and it's I only, think... And it's, it's risky almost as, a, as the protagonist of the film, yeah. too. Like, I do remember it kind of like, you know, sort of watching this as a kid and being like, well, that's just not Jack. He was... You know, he was on some kind of drug and made that decision. <laughs> you do have to you have to look past it as exactly as you said. Bizarro yeah. Jack. Yeah. Ooh, it could be. Ooh, like Bizarro Sharpay. We have a trend. Yeah, I think I think Jack like like I think the move itself makes sense for the story. I right. just don't think they did a good job, like you said, Henry, of setting it up. Like he he's so gung ho throughout the entire first and second acts of the movie. That for him to cave seems so out of left field. Well, you, you know, in the in the real story with with Kid Blink being the uh, the real life guy, like I said earlier, um, he was the rumor was that he was actually bribed to end the strike. So they might have just been picking off of real world elements and trying to fit them into the film. Interesting. Well, the other thing that I always wonder about Jack is that you know I actually don't like I, I like Jack, but like he's not my 
one of my more favorite characters of, of like the Newsies crew. The only thing is, it's hard to tell, you know, uh, if you look at like sort of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie, one, it's clear that Christian Bale like hates practicing. Like he, and he yeah. also, at least in the beginning, well, as you said, I didn't know like afterwards, he never like sort of admits that he was a newsies or never talks about it or never liked it. But in the beginning, he was like, he had a hard time admitting to people that he was doing a musical. Like he, he wouldn't even admit to friends and stuff like that. And I believe this was, he actually says this, um, you know, so it's, it seems like you kind of wonder because if you look at some of the initial scenes when he's like singing and stuff like that, like he he expresses some indifference to the whole thing. He is sort of saying the lines that's like, yeah, we, you know, yeah. we can't give up, blah 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 blah. But you also kind of wonder, like, it doesn't really look like Christian Bale really wants to be there. Like <laughs> yeah. he sort of turns it, it on. Really he's, doesn't. He's, yeah, he gives an inconsistent appear. Uh, he gives an inconsistent sort of show. Sometimes he's like totally enjoying it. But other times, you know, it sort of seems like he doesn't really want to be there, or need to be there, or just sort of going through the motions. Yeah, well, you, you know, the interview that I read, he actually said when you're he actually said when you're 17, you don't want your friends to know you're doing a musical. You want them to think you're doing something cooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So he's. I think he's just got a low opinion of musicals, and I guess, like you're saying, Henry, that just plays right into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really weird because I think like I, I, that's why I put it on on Kenny Ortega. Honestly, I don't I don't I feel like you know you can really blame seventeen year old Christian Bale for not giving a great acting performance. It's Ortega. I don't think understood what he wanted the movie like what kind of movie he wanted to make because like I said, most of the actions and the characters are like so over the top. Like Crutchy, for example. I love Crutchy. I loved Crutchy, but Crutchy is way over the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like oh, he's, yeah. He's cute and everything, but he's way over the top. Same yeah. thing with, you know, Pulitzer. Same thing with, you know... Uh, Ra- Racetrack Higgins. Yeah, exactly. Racetrack's actually my favorite character. Mine yeah. too! <laughs> <laughs> if you but look yeah. at Racetrack's performance, it's very consistently good. Like, he pulls yes. off, like... Kid yeah. acting is so inconsistent, not only in terms of, you know, one kid's good, one kid's not, but even within the own film, sometimes it, they do, they have good performances, sometimes they don't, but Racetracks is consistently believable. Probably also helps that he's not faking the accent the entire time. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, and, good and point. Do you, notice, do you notice he had the mannerisms of a 40-year-old through almost the whole film? Yeah. yeah. And, and I actually think Crutchy's, like, one of the stronger actors as well. Uh, yeah. So you know, Cr- Crutchy and Racetrack are two of the ones that are based on real characters from the from the real life story. Cool. Oh, cool. But yeah, so like Crutchy, Racetrack, those guys are are they're over the top, which fits with the musical, right? That that makes sense. Right. But then like he's asking Jack to pu- and David and Sarah to pull off subtlety, like especially the Jack and Sarah romance. Yeah. They, they really underplay that and therefore to me like it doesn't come off real believable because the, in this movie where people are singing and dancing and shouting from the rooftops and speaking in these ridiculous accents to try and play something subtle just doesn't work yeah well like like many Disney movies this is not the movie that we got is not the movie that was originally intended right this was originally intended to be a serious piece about this particular strike and they changed it, you know, within a few months of actually starting production on the movie. 
Wow, sounds like the Rocketeer all over again. <laughs> and, it, it, and because of that, the kids spent 10 weeks doing all the rehearsal for the dancing. Um, and uh, my, my opinion of the dancing is it drives me nuts because it's somewhere between Michael Jackson and Russian line dancing. <laughs> okay? And these kids look so strained and awkward doing some of the dancing, it drives me crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's the the thing that gets me is the high leg kicks. Like yeah. I can go with the rest of it, like when they're doing the 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 Russian line dancing, like you call it, Todd. I can go with that because they're organized, they're together, all that kind of stuff. But like when these kids are doing these like ballerino leg kicks, it I I'm just like really I don't think these like you know New York street toughs are going to be uh, doing that in the street. Have you guys Have you guys seen Waking Sleeping Beauty? Yes. Yes. No. So at the if my favorite part of Waking Sleeping Beauty is actually the extras. There's this great sort of like 25 minute, 30 minute conversation that Howard Ashman has, who was the lyricist on Little Mermaid and worked a lot on Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Um, and he was sort of also a, a big creative force for those movies, and a lot of people credit him for like really making those movies work. Um, and he talked a lot about how. Uh, he was really into animation because it made musicals like spontaneously breaking out into uh, song and dance a lot easier than it is in live action. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that comes across in movies like, or in newsies, like, you know, the whole musicals are very strange. You know what I mean? Musicals just don't happen in real life. Right. And to make them work in a way that everyone is happy with as an audience, you know, suddenly like if you watch the the times where they they're speaking and then they go into song like the awkward 30 seconds where they're transitioning between the two is is just so hard to pull off especially in live action and so uh i don't know that that's where i'm most fascinated by this whole movie like because i mean i i didn't really grow up watching musicals like of the you know of the the golden age so to speak so to see it in a 90s movie i thought was pretty ambitious um, and then when you add choreography on top of that, I mean, apparently Kenny Ortega came from the choreography world, and this was his first directing position. Yeah. So you figure the choreography would be his strong suit. Um, I think I love I, I think some of the scenes work extremely well, like the season of the day stuff, and I also really really like uh, Kings of New York. Um, Kings I think of that New York whole, is my like, favorite in the movie, actually, and it's it's interesting because remember I was saying they had to change it from a drama to a musical in about four yeah. months, right? is they actually king of new york which is like my favorite one in the thing they actually wrote that after the movie already started production so it was added as a last minute thing it's crazy but that's the one that i like because that was the one also i thought that i was like wow i wish i could do that you know what i mean like i don't know i i thought that i thought the kids were doing like such cool like you know sweet dance moves i was like i want to be that sweet of a dancer (laughs) definitely um, I noticed too. Some of the the dancing reminded me of West Side Story. You know, like yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't normally see the Jets, or you wouldn't you wouldn't think you'd see the Jets all of a sudden break out into dancing, and then there they are. But I, I think that's what Hammer was saying is is if you watch, um, you know, the Sharks and the Jets fight each other, it's it's much more natural when they break into dancing to do that. It it goes with the moment, and the song works the story. Right. And here it, it is. It, it has the transitions are a little awkward until they're fully into the song. 
that's yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, and I guess that's what's weird to me because, like, you see, you, there's not a, a ton of musicals made now, but like, look at something like um, Chicago or um, I'm trying to think of other ones, uh, Mamma Mia, that have come out recently, and those transitions are pretty seamless. And even High School Musical movies. I mean, I feel like, like when I was watching King of New York. I, I was looking at that and thinking, like, this is so much like a lot of the stuff that, that's done at East High during the High School Musical movies. Exactly. Like the cafeteria scene, which you hate, yeah. but, you know, still. Yeah, which like I don't that. like, but, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very much like that. Like, and that was, that's one where it works. But, it, yeah, the other ones are, are kind of strange. Like, like Santa Fe, for me, when Jack's out in the street and he's trying to do the cowboy moves, that just is odd. <laughs> oh, when yeah. he's yeah, when he's doing the the like, what you have to do at Whispering Canyon, where you have to run around. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the the good. I think, like I said, the story itself, the the actual outline of the story, is good. I just don't feel. I feel like it's so uneven, like between the pacing, the 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 acting performances. And the musical numbers in a whole, we've talked about it. Like it just doesn't come off right. I will say I did like it better this watching it the second time through than I did the first. So maybe it just ages well. I, I could also see where it where it will do better on a stage, to be honest. Than I because I, it, it's clearly, you know, some musicals work well as a movie. Like like you were saying, Mamma Mia worked really well as a movie, right? Yeah, but, it, it did. But this. Um, I, I think this is just going to work better as a stage play. I think I could see the play being very popular as a result. Yeah, I could. I could. I, I actually agree. Yeah, it could be really good, and they and then they can do the Pete's Dragon musical that that I've been advocating for. Yes, that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, it does. That'll be awesome. Um, it, it's interesting though. They because they knew it was a musical, they did like really weird things. Like you know, there are like. That a lot of the backgrounds are like matte paintings and stuff like that in this movie. I did yeah. notice that. Yeah, I noticed that okay. the second time through. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I thought so. That's interesting. Um, I also liked. Um, I guess this, for some reason, they decided to because um, it it was very common with um, movies that were musicals back in the day to use um, a moviola to to view it. So they actually felt the need to do that when they edited this movie as well. Uh, for those people who don't know, Moviola is if you've ever seen the old uh, shots of people editing movies, whether it's old, it's where they have a big viewfinder and they're all looking in and they're hand cranking the film past underneath to find the places to splice the film. Huh, interesting. Yeah, so it's just. Mm. It, it, I don't know why they did that. It's just like they. Apparently they did. It, the mats, you know, I'm okay with, but that's just kind of weird. It's like. There were modern. There was already modern equipment back then to do a better job. Well, it's interesting. Like it fits with the time time period. You know what I mean? So, like the other movies we've seen set in these same time periods, like Mary Poppins and things like that. I mean, it fits time period wise. But like Henry was saying earlier, like the whole movie is set is shot on the Universal City uh, backlot in Universal mm -hmm. in Universal Studios California. Yeah, the and vast majority of it. Yeah, like. Most of the movie is three blocks of that city. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. To, to have to have one that one tiny set and then these massive matte paintings, 
is, is weird. But I mean, I think it does. It, it it comes off all right. I mean, that that that's that was one of my lesser complaints. Yeah. I I was fascinated by the scene with um, Jack when he was on that horse because I was trying to figure out if if that was a real backdrop or if that was a moving screen or how they did that. Does anyone know? I I just think they pulled a wagon in and put some produce out <laughs> and then <that was laughs> drive the horse past it. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. But who knows? It could have been the same. Honestly, it could have been the same New York street and all they did was like for like a few hours they threw dirt on the ground and had him ride the horse over it then they swept it up because that's how those movie sets go. Like one day they could have snow, then there's nothing, then it's wet from rain, then it's dirt on the ground. Right. And they could change it four or five times a day. Hmm. Um, but you, you, So um, completely sidetracking for a moment. The, um, the theater that Meta owns and is in is actually – it's a real place. It's the, it's the Irving Place Theater. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I thought that was very interesting that they, um, that they did, although back then I guess it was it, it was originally Irving Hall and then they renamed it, um, and it's been a whole bunch of other things. Um, and it's you know it's still kind of sort of there, but not really. It's hard to explain, but I just kind of liked it because it's a it's a really nice. I like. Remember we've talked before. I like those old theaters. I just love the way they look inside and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, speaking of Meta, did anyone else think of Teddy Bear and Country Bear Jamboree when she was on her swing? <laughs> Same outfit. <laughs> My mind totally went there. Yep. Yeah, Teddy Bear should have been in the Country Bears movie. That would have made it better. Uh, yeah. Although it is pretty good as it is. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> All right, so um, I think we've talked through Newsies a, a, a fair bit. Oh, wait, I, I have some stuff. Okay, go. First, there was no Star Wars reference in this movie. No, there's Bummer. not. So, yeah. that's... Um, there's a whole bunch of bloopers. So, um, I'm going to say some of them, because some of them I can't say. <laughs> um, and carrying the banner rushes very very late. You're seeing him right, running in right before um, We Need a Good Association. When Jack is singing Santa Fe, he gets off the horse with the hat on, and then it's back on when he turns the corner. I noticed that. I noticed that this um, time through, yeah. When Brooklyn teams up with the Newsies, if you guys have delayed reactions, because they don't react when they get punched a second later. Hmm. Um, when Les is sitting and eating candy, watching Meta sing, to the left of him is a kid bouncing up and down. It's not a kid, it's a dummy. Wow. Um, <laughs> during Seize the Day, you can see Crutchy walking and dancing on both legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. During carrying the banner, um, Kid Blink sings something to wake me up. A kid near him sings as well. And also when Kid Banner, kid sings I Smell Money, you see P- Mush with his pants down. Oh, that's not good. Good, good work, Mush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, after Dave helped Crutchy up and sees the day, you see Crutchy walking again on both legs. Um... When Jack gets his chin, then why does he have a black eye? Um, let's see. Now I'm a, there's, there's, there's a bunch of them here. I'll, I'll give them in the show notes to Ryan. But um, cool. it's very interesting. But you're going to have to put a, a note on the show notes that these, that one of these, one of these, one of these things you can't 
One's inappropriate. Inappropriate age. for children, yes. Got it. Okay. You can tell us so, after we're done recording. I was going to say, that's a reason for everybody to go read it now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, Newsies, let's let's uh, say what we think. I think we've we've talked it through. So, Bree, what, what did you think? First of all, before I give it my rating, I do want to make mention of my favorite line in the film um, by Racetrack when he says, look at this, baby born with two heads must be from Brooklyn. The way, <laughs> the way he delivers that line is, is just perfection. And yeah. like we were saying, yeah, like Henry and I were saying before, he's, he's a very good actor. Um, he did an excellent job in this. But, I mean, all in all, I really did enjoy the film. Yeah, it did have its imperfections, but, I mean, it's really enjoyable. The music's great. Seize the Day was my favorite song from the film. Um, but I am going to give it, out of five, I think, oh, I'm on the fence about this one. Um, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with three and a half. That's fair. All right, so three, three and a half from Brie. Cheryl, what do you think? Oh, I like my husband to keep his job at touring plans, so I'm gonna give this a four. <laughs> <laughs> smart, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, your husband's not gonna be as smart. Uh. <laughs> I but I I really did like it. I mean, we paid two dollars on cable for it. It was worth the two dollars we paid on cable for it. See, you should have spent three more dollars. You could have got it from a DVD, like Brie. Yes, apparently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Should have right. shopped around. Todd, what about you? Yeah, I don't, it's not a bad movie. It just didn't do it for me, you know. And uh, I, I, I liked some. I liked a fair number of the songs, and it's, it's another one of those where I like the soundtrack better than I like the actual movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, for for me, the movie itself is a two and a half. It just it doesn't wow me. It doesn't wow. get me in there. Wow. It is better than it is better than some of the other movies you've given two and a half to. No, I would have really rather have got. No offense, I just felt like I wanted to get up the entire time I was watching the movie. Yeah, I felt that way kind of the first time through. So, Henry, when are you holding auditions for Todd's blogging spot during Clans? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't connect with the movie as much as uh, <laughs> as much as that, but um, soon, actually, soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yourself, Mister Work. Yes, yeah, so out of five, I would give it a 12. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I really connect with the movie. Uh, so what I did do before this episode is I looked at a bunch of the... Uh, I went on Rotten Tomatoes. And what's kind of cool is that they still have links to this, you know, to... Uh, the old like reviews, Times yeah. And Chicago Tribune, stuff like that from way back in the day. And I read all the, the, you know, the actual movie critic reviews of it, and I, I could disagree. You know what I mean? Like, like everything that they say is is correct. Movie has lots of <laughs> flaws, very inconsistent acting. You know, the music is good, but it doesn't like deliver that huge like wow factor like compared to some of the other classic Disney films. Right. Um, but in this weird way, I still connect with the movie. It might be one of those things that like you see it as a young age and you like the music or you like sort of um, the the energy of it or the atmosphere or something like that, and you connect with it. And then, like, as because it is one of those things. Like, the more I watch it, it is sort of a. It has that sort of cult vibe. It grows on you. You know, you you feel happy when you watch it. Stuff like that. Um, I have a review though. I don't know. I'd I'd probably say like a three and a half, maybe a four, just for sen- sentimental reasons. Um, wow. It's not something that I would like absolutely 
you know, there are many other movies that I want to see like above it uh, in terms of, you know, if I was just hanging around, but it, uh, I'm, so I'm trying to balance both my like critical sense of it, but also my, my weird connection to it, if that makes sense. No, it's okay. I mean, Henry, I've, I've said in the past too, is sometimes I feel the need to give something, you know, a star or a half star more just because of my own connection to it than necessarily how I feel about it. So right. I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, I, I well, I feel like sentimentality. I mean, that's kind of the role of movies, right? It's that they're yeah. supposed to play on emotions, so that's perfectly fair. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, this is one. Of the, this is one of those odd movies that's both underrated and overrated. Like before, I saw it the first time. Yeah. It, there was people like Tish telling me constantly how great it was, such as our friend Amy, who was on the Emperor's New Groove show, berated me for having not seen it, and. <laughs> To just telling me how great it was, and the first time I watched it, I was I, I was just completely underwhelmed by it. But then, like you, Henry, I was reading the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, and I and I thought like some of them I thought were just completely unfair. Right. You know, uh, some of them were just you know it's it's got a collective score I think of around like thirty percent, right. which I think is really unfair. Um, so I think it's underrated as far as you know from the critics, overrated maybe from the cult fandom. Uh, right. Because I would fall right in the middle. I would give it a three. I probably would have given it a two the first time through, but having watched it again, which I'll be honest, I was not looking forward to doing, uh, <laughs> but I actually enjoyed it more the second time through and you know, kind of got into it a little more. Uh, there's still some major problems like we talked about, but I think, I think it works. Uh, it, it works as a whole, uh, but if you, if you think too long about it, it kind of falls to pieces. But So what, if we came out average there around like three and a half or so, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. All right, so Newsies people, you can go rent it on uh, Amazon Video or Disney Movies Online. If you have Greyhouse, it's on your your kids on demand channel. Look at that. So go go check it out if you haven't seen it. uh, I I think we would all say go see it, even if we didn't necessarily think it was, you know, the best thing ever. Yeah, I think it's. I think historically, it's it's a good one to catch just because of the time period in terms of Disney's history when it came out. Like Henry was saying earlier, it fits really. It 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 just it's it's a try at something that didn't work for Disney at the time, but I'd like to see them try it again. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the musical. I'm very interested to see what happens with that because it, it, I think it could go one of two ways. It would be a huge hit or a few huge flop. One of the two. All right, but that's going to do it for this week's show. So uh, until next week, you can keep up with us on all the variety of social networks. We are on Twitter, at Diz Film Project. Uh, You can like us on Facebook, Disney Film Project on Facebook. You can listen to the show. Make sure you can download through iTunes if you want. Leave us a review there. Uh, You can also listen on Stitcher Radio if you have that on your phone. Uh, So there are a variety of ways to keep in touch with us. You can leave comments on the show notes uh, for this particular episode where you'll find that a uh, particularly cool blooper that uh, Cheryl has found that we can't mention right now. Uh, so any any of those ways you want to keep in touch with uh, the program, you can do that. Um, I want to thank our very special guest, Mr. Henry Work of TouringPlants.com, uh, for joining us. Thank you very much, Henry. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. Or and, uh, as at least once. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can see Henry's fine work at uh, TouringPlants.com. Uh, the uh, the great website to which Mr. Perlmutter and myself are contributors. Uh, so you can read our blogs and see. I, I think we have 700 bloggers there, and they're all doing fantastic work right now. Uh, so I, I think that's awesome. 
Uh, so we have all kinds of great bloggers over there, and you will go check those out as well as uh, Todd and myself. Um, you can keep in touch with Bree over at Adventures of Bree at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com, and then you can see uh, her blogs as well as mine over at disneydrivenlife.com uh, that Todd makes possible through his uh, chief technical wizardry. So uh, that will do it for this week's show. Until next week, folks, carry the banner. Seize the day. Carrying the banner. Never fear, Brooklyn is here. Brooklyn! <laughs> <laughs>